You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Hi everyone, my name is Matty. I'm part of the team here at Manchester Vineyard and goes without saying I'd much rather be with you in person right now than sat in my spare room. But here we are and uh, what I'm going to be sharing today is definitely something that God's put on my heart. So I really hope that it's encouraging to you as well. So what I, uh, what I want to talk about is pain, emotional pain. Uh, I'm not an expert. In fact, uh, I remember when I first moved to Manchester five years ago with my wife, Rhiannon, we'd, we'd just got married. Uh, we had lived in, I think it was four homes in the first three months of our marriage. Uh, we both started new jobs. We were obviously trying to make new friends, get the church up and running. I was very ill. Uh, I was on back-to-back steroid courses. And uh, yeah, needless to say, and hilariously, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was tired and I was pretty low. I remember about six months into this, turning to Rihanna one day and saying, Riri, do you think we might be you know, emotionally tired from, from all the change? And the look she gave me was just priceless. It just said, clear as day, you are so dumb. How has it taken you six months to clock that you're tired and low? So when it comes to being in tune with my emotional state, I think I'm, I'm not much of a natural. But God has definitely got my attention over this and he's, he's teaching me. I might be a slow learner, but I am changing. I want to offer up two thoughts to start with just to frame where we'll go with this time. And the first, obvious as it might seem, is that uh, because pain and sadness uh, are most often triggered by loss, and loss is something we just can't avoid in this life, clearly we can't avoid pain and we can't avoid sadness either. I don't know if you've come across this book or read it. If you haven't, I would highly recommend it. Um, it's by Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And there's a chapter in it which is all about this stuff and, and he runs us through some of the things that we lose through life. We lose our youth you know, the, and, the, and the mobility and the energy that goes with it. Many of us lose our health that we take for granted and, and the ease and freedom that that brings. We lose routines and, and stability. Every time we move city or change job or, or life throws us a curveball, like, let's say, a global pandemic. We lose dreams as, as the years roll by and, and that job and that car or, or that family doesn't seem to be materialising. We, we lose influence as we grow older and, you know, maybe our kids don't need us as much anymore or we retire from that job that we loved. And then there's what Skazero calls catastrophic loss, where... A member of our family dies or someone we love commits suicide a spouse has an affair we get abused or, or we get cancer or made redundant it's not easy to to talk about but my, my point is whether it feels relevant to you right now this stuff is important because as much as we might dislike loss and pain it is a fact of life And the second thing um, that I want to just mention now to frame our conversation is that what we do when we face loss and pain is really, really important. And there are actually quite a lot of of roads available to us. I just want to take uh, the example of physical pain for a moment. So if you were to be doing a Joe Wicks cardio hits hits workout on YouTube tomorrow morning and and you fell over and broke your leg, then there would definitely be pain. And that has a a purpose. It's useful. It is, is your body telling your brain Don't put weight on that. There's a problem down there. We need to sort it out and get fixed. 
And the thing is, when it comes to physical pain, for the most part, there's some kind of consensus on what to do. I've had my pain plan sorted for ages. You know, if it's not a lot of pain, then it's paracetamol and get as much sympathy as possible from Rhiannon. And if it is a lot of pain, then it's going to be A&E or possibly an ambulance, depending. Exactly when we go for these different options, we might vary on, but we all know serious physical pain is, is trouble and it needs sorting. And when it comes to our inner pain, exactly the same is true. It's our inner wiring telling us something's wrong. My mind, my emotions, my heart are not okay. We need to do something about this. We may be in dire need of, of time to process and to grieve. We may need to face something that we've done and we've been avoiding. We might need to, to release unforgiveness that is making us bitter and angry. Or we might need to receive forgiveness for something that we just haven't been able to forgive ourselves for and it's eating us up. We may need companionship, love and, and TLC. But, but who writes that prescription? We're not nearly as good at listening to and understanding our inner pain. It's not visible. There's no free hospital we can rock up to and just get a really quick barrage of tests and a, and a prescription and, and sorted. There are of course therapists and counsellors and big shout out to them, I think they are undervalued and underused. But, but we don't use them as much as we should. I, th I think sometimes it's because, well, they're not cheap. There can be waiting lists. I think sadly there can be a bit of stigma around using them. And I think more often than not, we just think, well, what I'm going through isn't, isn't serious enough. That's, that's for other people, not for me. Often our inner pain and whatever has caused it can go undealt with in a way that we would never allow if it was a physical and visible ailment. And the problem is that, to use a phrase that Paul Lowe uses quite a lot, hurt people hurt people. When we don't process or deal with pain, we hurt ourselves as it bends us out of shape mentally and emotionally. Some of us withdraw and create emotional distance between ourselves and others. Some of us get angry and frustrated. Some cast around for something, some body to blame. Some of us refuse to acknowledge and face it and just live in denial. Some of us get low and depressed. Some of us pursue distraction and busyness and work as a kind of anaesthetic. What we do with our pain can, can really hurt us. And inevitably it hurts other people as well. And sadly, so often it's the ones who are closest to us and we love the most who pay the highest cost. I know that when I'm not dealing with my stuff and it's leaking, it's Rhiannon, who I love more than anyone, who, who has to deal with the most. So the question becomes, what do we do with this inevitable pain? And we're going to take a look uh, at a night in Jesus' life when he faced an incredible amount of emotional loss and pain and to see how he navigated that and, and what we can learn. I'm reading from Matthew 26 verses 36 to 46. Jesus has just had his last meal. He knows that tonight is the night, the night that he's going to be uh, betrayed, arrested, falsely tried, tortured and then crucified. And this is what we read. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching me. Going a little further, 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible, for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may all be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Point one is this. Jesus struggled with pain, so we are definitely allowed to. We never need to feel guilty about being in pain or sad or low or not being able to just hold it together. Maybe that that sounds obvious to you, but I actually think we can be quite unkind to ourselves. We can feel guilty or ashamed for struggling with our emotions. Because sadness feels so bad, sometimes we think it is bad. Like we shouldn't struggle with it. I mean, doesn't Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're meant to rejoice always? Isn't it wrong to feel low or or depressed or like we just can't hold it together anymore? Aren't Christians meant to be able to just deal with all the stuff that life throws at us in some kind of zen-like peaceful state? And my answer to that would be, clearly, Jesus didn't. What we're seeing in this passage is Jesus staggered by the weight of his grief and impending loss. Even Jesus can't just snap out of it. He doesn't seem to be trying. In his own words, in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Just just think about that. Jesus, perfect Jesus is saying, my soul is overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. And yet we know that Jesus pleased the Father in everything he did. In fact, he says it in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Not only was Jesus' emotion not a problem for the Father, it actually shows us and reflects what the Father is like. When we look at the Old Testament, we see God, the Father, is so often described in emotional terms. He has compassion, he rejoices, he gets angry. There are things that he just can't stand to be around. We are made in his image. We're emotional beings because God is. Our emotions lend colour and depth and richness to life. In fact, scientists and psychologists are realising more and more that they're completely essential to how we work. A study done in 2000 found that when people have damaged the area of their brain, I don't know which side it's on, uh, that generates and processes emotions. Even if everything else remained intact and their logic and, and in many other ways they could function normally, Just making simple decisions became virtually impossible. They struggled to even pick lunch. It's part of who we are. If God took away our ability to feel pain at suffering and injustice, he'd be making us less like Jesus and less like him. That's not his plan. His plan is to partner with us to change this world into a place where the causes of pain are dealt with and removed and we will make some progress now and ultimately he will do it completely when he comes back.
in the meantime, he wants to meet us in our pain and to change us through it. If you have been sad, low, in pain, depressed, grieving this week or this year or for way longer, you have done nothing wrong. And in fact, probably like me, you have done things wrong. <laughs> we all do things wrong. But what I mean is feeling that way isn't wrong. So one, Jesus struggled with pain. We are definitely allowed to as well. And number two, Jesus had to face his pain. So we should too. We said uh, that the biggest cause of, of sadness and pain is loss, right? Well, consider Jesus' situation. He's just come from a meal where he's predicted that one of his 12 best friends is about to betray him for money. The other 11 are going to desert him in the next few hours. He'll be beaten, face trumped up charges. He'll be whipped to near the point of death and then he's going to be nailed to a piece of wood and left to die in excruciating agony. And worse than even that, he is going to be carrying the sin of every human who will ever exist. So that as, as he gasps his last agonised breath, our sin, our debt to God will die with him. He's going to face total separation from his Father in heaven so that we never have to. So Jesus is about to lose companionship, freedom of movement, freedom from pain, his connection with the Father and his life. But here he is in the garden facing it all. And that is a choice. That is not something that just comes naturally. In March 2020, uh, the day before I was about to go off uh, and have a few days visiting family, I got a letter about something called COVID-19 and, and it was the government telling me that I was in the high risk category and I couldn't go out for two months. I'm sure some of you had the same. Now in the light of everything that's happened since, that's not such a big deal really. But at the time, as a 100% extrovert who was about to go on holiday and who loves to be busy, stimulated and with people and outdoors, I didn't take it well. And, and I raise it, not for sympathy, but because I, I was just fascinated looking back at, at how I responded in the following weeks. The first thing that I did was uh, when I got the letter was turn to Rihanna and say, we are definitely getting Disney Plus. She had been resistant, but I knew with this kind of emotional leverage I was in. And sure enough, I was. I read fantasy books, I watched TV, kept busy with work, uh, ate way too much chocolate, angled for takeaway every opportunity I got. I was distracting, busy, entertaining and eating myself through every waking moment. And that way I didn't need to think about the fact that I was stuck indoors. Gradually though it dawned on me that if I carried on like this, when things did change and, and, and I did come out of it all, I wasn't going to be more compassionate or more resilient or more in love with Jesus. I was just going to be more distracted and more addicted to getting quick fixes, quick gratification. I began to realise I'm squandering a chance to grow in exchange for not having to face my sadness and pain. And I began to ask God, it wasn't a lot of fun, but I began to ask him, God help me face my mess and my pain and change. What about you? I'm sure some of you are facing and dealing with your pain. But I imagine some of you feel like I did, that, that you're not dealing with it, or certainly not well. 
maybe you're like I was and, and sometimes still am, avoiding pain through distraction, whether that be working too hard, uh, putting everyone else's needs ahead of your own or your extracurricular stuff that you love to do. Uh, maybe you hold people at arm's length so that they can't hurt you again. Maybe you're always around people because being alone is terrifying and you just don't want to face what comes up when that happens. Maybe uh, you just bottle up all that pain and loss and pretend it's not there. Or maybe you rationalise it. You know, well, like, well, it's just emotion. How would feeling sad help? How would it fix anything? And you just crack on living real life. The problem is pain is real and it's telling us something important. And if we face it with God, as hard as that may be, he can meet us in it and even bring good out of it, change us through it. But he'll never make us. Jesus spent his last night of freedom, probably not the way most of us would naturally do it, not avoiding or rationalising his pain, but facing it. And we should too. The third point I want to make is that Jesus needed companionship in pain, and we do too. Jesus invited his friends to share in his lowest and most vulnerable moment. He says to Peter, James and John, stay here and keep watch with me. I find this really hard to get my head around because for one thing, surely if anyone in the world could go it alone and deal with pain, it's Jesus, right? And for another thing, his disciples just come across as a bunch of goons, to be honest. You just think, did it actually help Jesus? I mean, they just fell to sleep on you twice. Was it worth it? But as ever, Jesus knows better than we do. He knows what the Bible and modern psychology both completely agree on and confirm to be true, that we are fundamentally relational beings. We're just not designed to do life alone. Right in the beginning of the human story the Bible presents us with, we see God declare over the first ever person in Genesis 2 verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. As with our emotions, needing people, needing help, isn't something that makes us weak. It's not part of how we're broken, it's part of our design, our God-likeness. I don't think that's a word, but you get what I'm saying. God is Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has never been alone. And we are not meant to be alone. Obviously, I don't mean going to the toilet, <laughs> taking a bit of alone time, much needed downtime, especially if you're an introvert. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in wider life, at the core of who we are, we are made to be with people. So flawed and human as they are, when Jesus is facing his lowest moment, he knows that being alone is the last thing he needs. But we can sometimes be reluctant to follow his lead in this. Just see if, if any of these resonate with you. I, I, I don't want to be a burden to people. Or I, I don't deserve any help. Or what if I do share but no one really cares? Or talking about it wouldn't help anyway, so what's the point? Or I'm the problem, so I should sort myself out. It's not fair to put it on other people. Or I could just never open up about something that painful or that shameful. Maybe one of those does resonate. Maybe for you it's something completely different. But if you haven't made an effort to bring your struggles and pain and sadness and shame into the light and share it with someone, and I don't mean five years ago, I mean recently. Please try. Not because it'll be easy, it probably won't. Sometimes we have very compelling reasons why we don't want to, to be around people or to be vulnerable that way. 
Jesus certainly had reasons he could have shied away from it. I mean, you know, he, he's the leader, the one everyone looks to. And yet he says, guys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I can't think of a stronger way of admitting I am not okay. What were they going to think about that? And how about asking your friends to not sleep all night and to, and to stay up with you? And then when they fall asleep, actually waking them up. How inconvenient is that? Wouldn't it have been easier just to let them be? Sadly, just like Jesus, we don't always get the response that we long for, or maybe that we deserve. But if we emulate Jesus and we give others, flawed as they are, the opportunity to love us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to offer assistance to help us, it will make a difference. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I know I'm not surprising anyone when I say this, but life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. If you want to go far, go together. A lifetime worth of pain is a heavy burden to carry without help. And sometimes the difference between something feeling hard and something feeling impossible is the people that are either side of you on the journey. Jesus chose vulnerability, not with everyone, but with a few, and we need to do the same. What would taking a step in that direction look like for you? Maybe there are things you've carried alone for your whole life. How about just one incredibly brave, brave step to, to share that with just one person? Maybe you can't share all of it. Maybe you can just share some. Take the first step. And if you can't think of anyone that you could do that with, then uh, at the end of this service, we always uh, have the opportunity for people to message in if you want to, and someone will give you a call and they'll listen and they'll chat and they'll pray if you want them to. I'd encourage you, do it. Maybe you do share pain with people, but you know there's a line. You, you don't let it go beyond a certain point. Or you know there's not many people, maybe there's only one, and that is, is what you realise, actually, that, that needs to change. Maybe you don't resonate at all. Well, is there anyone around you who, who, who just comes into your mind now, maybe, who you know, actually, I think they need a bit of attention, a bit of time, a bit of love. Maybe someone's come to your mind and you're like, I don't even know if they're in pain. Well, reach out to them. What's the worst that could happen? To follow Jesus is to live as he lived. And if he modelled vulnerability in pain, then we're missing something if we don't follow him into that as well. Finally, point four, Jesus needed our father in pain, and we do too. The heart, I believe, of how Jesus faced the cross is the moment that he moved a little farther, fell with his face to the ground, and prayed, my father. As he did so, I believe, uh, Jesus was completely confident that two things were going to happen. And they did happen, and they're actually offered to us as well. The first thing is that Jesus was confident that he was going to be heard and answered. He was confident something was going to change. And so he prays not once, but throughout the night, my father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, not as I will, but as you will. Put another way, dad, help change something. But I, I submit to you. And he was right. He was heard and he was answered. It doesn't mention it in this passage that we've read, the Gethsemane story in Matthew. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, we read this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, 
He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But in this case, God's provision didn't mean an end to his pain. The cross was the will of the Father for the sake of all creation. And the cost was unavoidable and awful pain for the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So on this occasion, Jesus wasn't just airlifted out of it or spared his pain. But in Luke's account, we, we get a detail that Matthew doesn't mention. This is Luke 22, verse 43. We're told that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. When we bring ourselves and, and the rawness of our pain to our dad in heaven and ask for his help as, Je as Jesus did that night, we get it. Sometimes where he can, he changes our circumstances and, and makes, makes a way out. And the Bible's full of stories like that. But sometimes he can't. Or maybe I should say he won't. Because what we've asked for is wrong. Or he knows it'll harm us. Or the timing's not right. Or someone else is asking for something else that's the opposite. Or, or whatever. There might be a gazillion different reasons that we don't understand. But when he won't change the situation, he will change us. He will strengthen us and encourage us and make a way for us. As the angel ministered to Jesus that night, he received what he needed to endure the cross. So Jesus was confident something was going to change for him. But the second thing that he was confident of, perhaps even more importantly, is that he was going to encounter the Father. He was going to be in the presence of his dad. As a kid, I used to hear the story of Jesus praying all night in Gethsemane. I just used to think, how, how unappealing and boring does that sound? I could never pray all night. And I had a lot of sympathy with the disciples who fell asleep. But, but back then, my concept of prayer was really just as work, as something that Christians were meant to do. But if instead we think of prayer as time and interaction with our Father, then I think it begins to, to shift how we see it. John tells us that the one Jesus was spending all that time with is God, and God is love. Jesus is a man looking down the barrel of the worst ordeal imaginable. His emotions must have been all over the place. So yes, he wants companionship from his friends, but even more than that, he wants, he needs to be with his father, to be with the only one who is love, unconditional love. When, when, when a little kid falls over and really hurts himself, their first impulse is to, is to cry out and look for mum and dad. And when they get picked up and held close and they nuzzle into mum or dad's neck, nothing's changed, but somehow everything has. Because all the pain is still there, but now there's safety and there's security and there's love. I'm sure all of us in our own pain resonate with the prayer of Jesus to take this cup away from me, with the desire to have God change something, do something. And whether it be our situation or us, he will. Well, if we come to him. But I imagine our, our sense of desire, of compulsion, of need to be in the Father's presence in our pain is a bit more varied. And, and that's okay. But he must be the best, the sweetest, the most wonderful person to be with. Because Jesus endured death and separation from the Father that he loved so much so that we could have it, so that we could have what he had. He paid a high price 
to give us access to our Father. So he must think that it was very, very important that we have it. And really, that's the whole point, right? That's why we were made. That, that's why Jesus came. That's what the Bible, I thought I had one to wave at you. I don't. That's what the Bible is all about. That we can know and enjoy a relationship with the Father, Son and Spirit for all eternity. And it starts now. Whatever we think of God our Father right now, you know, whatever your experience of him, however strongly or not you long for him, however good you think he is, he is much, much much better and we can do nothing more powerful or effective in our pain than to bring ourselves pain included to him I've said a lot there I realise and of the four things that I've mentioned I don't know is, is the one that, that perhaps stands out to you something that the Holy Spirit was giving you a little nudge on perhaps for you in this season God just wants you to know it's okay that you're struggling to lift from you any sense of guilt or shame over not being able to, to be okay right now. Perhaps you realise that you're, you're not facing your pain, as I did. You're rationalising, avoiding, distancing, distracting, overworking, whatever your way around it. I believe the invitation from Jesus today is to do as he did and to face it and to feel it. And it's a journey, you can't do it all at once. But how can you take just one step to face and to be present to what you've been avoiding today, this week? Perhaps something stirred <coughs> in you about, about being vulnerable and, and seeking companionship in pain. Maybe true vulnerability um, in pain is, well, sorry, true vulnerability in pain with another person is something that you've just never done. And, and the thought of it terrifies you. Maybe you feel that actually you are being vulnerable to a level, but you're not really letting people in properly. There's a line. Or, or, or you're just not making the time and the space that you need to have real and deep relationships. If that's true, then what can you do to change that? That needs to change. I have to say though, that if you remember nothing else today, I hope something in you is stirred to be real and present to our Father in heaven. To want to be with him, as Jesus did, even in your pain. And if any of that resonates with you, uh, and you think there's, there's some more journeying you wanna do around this than just listening to me this morning or evening or whenever, uh, I just wanna suggest a few things. Feel free to ignore them, but some of them might be helpful. The first is, I already mentioned it, but this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, highly recommend it, buy it, borrow it, read it. And the other is a course that I'm actually doing at the moment. I'm just over halfway through and I'm loving it. It's called Emotionally Focused. It's run out of the vineyard and it is just changing me and, and so helpful. Uh, I believe there's some courses coming up, uh, I think maybe October, December time. But, um, but if you're interested, then do express your interest. Get in touch with someone, let us know. Uh, there are limited places, so we can't guarantee everyone a slot, but, but we'll try and get you on. And if you've felt stirred or challenged by anything, then maybe the next thing for you would be to, to commit to sharing it with someone, to a friend, to your small group leader. If you're not in a small group, by the way, can I just highly, highly recommend that you get involved. Or, or you could, you know, it, it, it could be one of those people who's available after this call. As we said, there'll be people wanting to chat with you if, if you need someone. But the key is just to, to make a decision to resolve to do it now. Think of someone, 
pick your moment. Don't just wait until it happens and it's convenient. Busyness will take over and it probably won't. And finally, consider just how you can make some time to be with God today or this week. Whatever works around your schedule and, and use it to be still and to be real. Don't just think about God, but actually open your mouth and, and say something to him. The one thing that I do is, is I set a 15 minute timer every morning. It's quite a new practice that I've been doing. And I'll just invite the Holy Spirit, invite the Father and I'm Jesus. I'll just sit and just see what comes up. And then think about it with him and, and, and take it to him and talk about it with him. Maybe that wouldn't work for you, but whatever it is, time, distraction-free time with the Father. Even just a little bit, how could you press into that this week? I just want to leave you with this verse, one of my favourites. It's Jesus talking to a church in Revelation chapter 3, and he says to them, and I believe he's saying to you and to me, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus isn't playing hide and seek with us. The Father isn't playing hide and seek with us. He wants to be found. He wants to know and, and, and to redeem all of who we are. And if we'll just let him, that includes our pain. That's it from me, guys. But we're just going to make a bit of space to invite the Holy Spirit and see what he might want to do, okay? So uh, get comfy, however you prefer. I, I normally close my eyes, but let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the price that you paid so that we could be with our Father, so that we would never, ever, ever have to be alone in our pain. I know there'll be people here today who are processing pain that is, is kind of low level but chronic it's just dogging them Lord it's following them around and there'll be people who are processing pain who I, I just can't even imagine Lord whatever the situation we invite you be with us comfort us be present to us I think there, there are some people who have got specific things, specific pain, trauma, things that you're ashamed of in your life that, that you've never, never shared, never spoken with anyone. And honestly, the best thing you can do is to reach out, to bring it into the light. God loves to just receive us with love. If you want to message someone right now, you know, send a message, someone will get in contact with you phone a friend but I just want to say that that impulse not to share it is, is, is a lie Jesus would you just come and bring comfort would you bring comfort and and courage right now would we know that there's nothing that you can't deal with you're not hopeful over you can't forgive Actually, I think there is something around hope for, for some people watching this that you've just given up hope. And I just want to say the Father has not. 
there's this great verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love always hopes and God is love Lord would you just renew hope in hearts right now just speak into people's lives just stir them Lord I, I pray that whatever has been shared that's useful this morning would, would stick and whatever hasn't would fall away but Lord let your presence remain guys that's it from us um, and I just want to say normally we leave uh, with, a, with a song so if now actually is a time where you have just 10-15 minutes if the kids aren't hounding you and the lunch doesn't need sorting or whatever then what better time than now than just to be still and be honest with the Father Thanks for listening to find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description